All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis chapter 42. We will read all of that chapter, verses 1 through 38. Remember last week, Joseph had just been elevated to a position of power and authority in Egypt. And the seven years of plenty had come, and now we have the seven years of famine. We begin to shift focus from Joseph to the family as, as a whole. Um, although Joseph is still involved in that, the story begins to focus back on the brothers and Jacob. And so let us read the word of the Lord beginning in Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? And he continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger, youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound, them before, and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. 
My silver has been returned, he said to his brother. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for your starving household and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give you your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were entering their sacks, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver, When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do pray today that you speak to us in your word. Speak to us. Show us how to live. Show us how to be holy. Show us how to be more like you. Show us how to grow in grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jacob and his sons are there in Canaan. We're told in the passage today that the famine has extended itself to Canaan. And we're given the picture that the brothers are really just kind of being their own little selves that they've been as we've seen them throughout this, um, the, throughout this account. They're not working together. They're probably working against each other. And finally, Jacob gets a little frustrated. And he says, we're hungry. We're only going to get hungrier until we die. Why are you guys just kind of staring at each other and not doing anything about this? There's a solution right in front of you. The solution is that there is food in Egypt. Why don't you guys get everything together, start working together, and go get us some food? And so all of the brothers, except for Benjamin, take off. They go to Egypt. They get there. They they find themselves before Joseph, bowing down before Joseph. Where have we seen this before? Remember, Joseph had two dreams to begin this account of the family of Jacob. And in the first dream, all 11 of his brothers bowed down to him. Now, the dream is not complete here. Joseph remembers the dream. It's not quite complete here because how many brothers bowed down in the dream? 11 of them. And in the second dream, the whole family bows down to him, but you know the whole family is not there. It's just the ten brothers. But Joseph remembers the dream. And remember this theme that we've had throughout the account of Jacob's family through Joseph is that there have been two dreams of Joseph's. Then there were two dreams in the, the prison, both of which came true. And then Pharaoh had two dreams, which were really just one dream. And those two dreams have come true as well. And Joseph finally begins to get the answer to his question. What about my dreams? 
What about the dreams that God gave to me? And we begin to see them fulfilled and we'll see them finally fulfilled as we work our way through this chapter and on into chapter 46 and beyond. But we begin to see the fulfilling of Joseph's dreams. So Joseph sees his brothers. The dreams remind him that, that you know, he is to be in a place of power over them and so he treats them harshly. And we'll, we'll deal with his harsh treatment here in a few minutes. But he accuses them of being spies. And the only reason they are there is to um, see if the land is defended or not. And they said, no, 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 we're not spies. There, there, were, there were 12 of us, sons of one man. Uh, one of the sons is no more. They, they've actually feels like they've kind of believed the lie that Joseph has died. The lie that they started, the lie that they told. And they say, one of them is no more. And, and the other brother is home with our father. He would not let them go, let him go. Joseph is still kind of playing favorites here. And so they, he says, well, the only way I'll believe you is if, if one of you goes and brings that brother to me. So he throws them all in prison for three days. He gives them this plan uh, that instead of one of them going back to bring the younger brother, that they should uh, one of them stays there. He chooses Simeon. He has Simeon thrown in prison. Um, he buy, he sells them grain, has the money put back in the in the sack for the grain, and he sends them on their way. On the way, they get there to feed their animals. They open up one of the sacks of grain and find some silver. They get back home. They tell Jacob this story. Now they kind of soft sell the story. They kind of sugarcoat it a little bit, probably to to um, a little bit in an anticipation of, of saving Jacob's feelings. How did they deal with the loss of Joseph with Jacob? They kind of showed up. They chucked this bloody coat on the floor in front of him and they said, your son's been mauled by an angry animal. But here they softened the details of the story. They said that, you know, Simeon you know, has, has been kept in, in Egypt, but everything's fine, everything's good. And um, we've got grain, but we're not going to get more grain unless we take Benjamin back with them. And we get this sense that Jacob is kind of going along with the story for a little bit until they empty their sacks in front of him and all of the silver is found to have been returned. And then Jacob is shown as being suspicious in this story and his suspicions are confirmed. The brothers have sold Simeon for silver. And so he puts his foot down, he digs in, and he shows us, he says, there is no way Benjamin is going to Egypt with you. And so as we consider this story, I want us to look at two aspects of this story. The first aspect is that God knows us. And the second is that God's severe mercy leads to repentance. Jacob and Joseph are presented to us in this account as having some type of knowledge. Now, now Jacob's knowledge and the expression of Jacob's knowledge is, is merely hinted at here. Jacob will not allow Benjamin to accompany his brothers to Egypt, um, really because he's afraid harm will come to him. And, and it's presented in such a way when he's paired with Joseph, who is no more in Jacob's explanation of why he will not allow Benjamin to go, there's a sense that Jacob is beginning to get suspicious of the ten brothers. Over the last 20 years that they have been there, remember Joseph came to power after 13 years. There's been seven years of famine. We don't know 
how long between the time the famine started and the time that the brothers go to Egypt was there, but it's been at least 20 years. Jacob has watched these 10 sons of his interact. Remember, Judah even left for a while. And he dealt a little bit um, underhandedly, a little bit shadily with Tamar. He's seen them act. He knows that they have drugged their feet in going to Egypt to get food. And there may be some suspicion in his mind that the story about Joseph may not be entirely true. He may not suspect that Joseph has been sold into slavery because he still talks about him as being dead. But he may suspect that the brothers had more uh, to do with Joseph's demise than they said they did. And also at the end of the account, we see that as they're giving their story in an attempt to save Jacob's feelings, they're not giving him the full story. His attitude changes when he sees the money. Jacob may feel confirmed in his suspicions to think that the brothers did something to Simeon, maybe sold him into slavery for some silver and some grain. But Joseph's knowledge, however, is very clear to us while it's hidden from his brothers. The brothers come to Egypt, they approach Joseph, and he recognizes them, but they did not recognize him. It's been 20 years. The last time they saw him, he'd been thrown into a cistern, his own prison, if you will. And now here he is as a man of power, a man that's 20 years older, uh, a man that looks more like an Egyptian and speaks like an Egyptian rather than as, a, as an Israelite, as a son of Jacob. He recognizes brothers. He remembers his brother's sins. 20 years is a long time, but it's not long enough for us to forget when people have hurt us, when people have done things against us. And he understands his brothers when they speak. Jacob and Joseph had knowledge of their brothers, of, their, of the boys, of the sons and the brothers. And while their knowledge is limited to the hints and suspicions of life over a 20-year period, we must remember that God has full knowledge of our hearts and of our actions. Everything we have ever done to rebel against God and to pursue our own agenda is clear before God. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our sins. And God uses His knowledge to lead us, to guide us, and to correct us as we move forward in our lives. And this leads us to the second point I want us to see today is that God's severe mercy leads to, to repentance. Now, some circles, some commentators look at this account of what Joseph does and how he deals with his brothers, and they see it as, as, as revenge and being vindictive. But that makes sense to us, does it not? I mean, here we have 10 men who have treated us poorly. They threw us into an empty well. They, they ate a meal while we were starving and, and, and thirsting at the bottom of this empty well. And they, sell, they, they, they consider our murder within, within earshot of us. And then they sell us into slavery. We would hold a grudge, would we not? But, but if we look at the way this pre presented to us, his accusation of them being spies is tied to his dream, not to their sin. It's tied to God's revelation of how his life is going to work out, not to what his brothers have done to them. 
Bruce Waltke says, and, and as, we, as we go along in this story, we see that he is moved to tears by the actions and the words of his brothers. And in light of that, Bruce Waltke says, Joseph's actions are harsh, but his emotions are tender. And he goes on to say, through Joseph's severe mercy, the brothers confess their sin and renounce their hateful ways. What do we see the brothers say? They say in chapter in verse 21, they say, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. God uses the harshness of Joseph's words, the harshness of Joseph's treating of his brothers to make the brothers begin to confess and repent the sins that they committed against Joseph so many years ago. Joseph hasn't forgotten, neither has his brothers. And sometimes God uses what is called severe mercies to chastise and to discipline his people. God used the severity of the famine to exalt Joseph, but also to exalt Jacob and his family. He uses the severity of the famine to get the family out of Israel and into Egypt as He has promised Abraham so many years ago. He uses the severity of Joseph's words to bring the brothers to repentance. If the family is saved from famine, but is left marked by suspicion, hatred, and violence, what good is that? And if God drags us out of difficult circumstances but does not cleanse our heart, does not lead us to repent of our sins, does not drag us toward holiness. What good is that? God uses severe mercies to bring us to maturity. God uses severe mercies to make the brothers worthy to be called the children of God. And He's going to use these severe mercies as we'll see in the, in the next few chapters to craft Judah to be the leader that he needed to be. We talked in Sunday school today a little bit about Isaiah verses six, one, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The king has died. The prophet Isaiah is transported to the presence of God. He sees the glory and the greatness of God, and he falls flat on his face in worship, saying, Woe is me! I am undone! I am being disintegrated because of my sin! And he says, because of the uncleanness of my lips, I deserve everything that is happening to me here in the holiness of God. And God sends one of the angels, sends him over to the altar. The angel takes a coal in his hands and comes over and presses them to Isaiah's lips so that his lips might be purified and that he might be purified to stand there before God. The severest of God's mercies poured out upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ upon the cross. Upon that altar where the angel took the coal that purified Isaiah, Christ was sacrificed for our sins so that we may not need to worry about the full weight of God. Excuse me, God's judgment. The Spirit continues to work to help us with our sanctification And at times, He does that with the harsh actions motivated by tender mercies. God's severe mercies are at work in us to draw us to repentance. 
Turn with me, if you will, in your Scriptures to the book of Psalms. In uh, Psalms, uh, uh, Psalms 120 through 134 are these Psalms of Ascent. These songs that the Israelites would sing as they approached Jerusalem on their journeys, as they worried about the dangers around them. And Psalm 130 makes clear for us God's severe mercies. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept records of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The psalmist cries out from the depths. The indelible graces version of this psalm starts out, um, from the depths of woe I raise to thee my voice of lamentation. Life's hard sometimes. Sometimes we suffer in life. Sometimes we struggle in life. And that's where the psalmist finds himself here. Why does he find himself struggling and suffering? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. The psalmist realized something about his life is that he was under the severe mercy of God. There was sin in his life that had led him to suffering. And because of that, he turned to repentance. He turned to God and says, God, forgive me. I turn back to you. And at the end of the psalm, he says, Israel, people of God, turn back to God and seek his forgiveness. You know, oftentimes I make the I make the qualification when I talk about suffering that we have to be careful that we don't assign sin to people's suffering. And that is true. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, when the disciples come to him and ask him, why did this, why did the tower fall on these men? Why were these other men executed in a horrible way? What did they do to offend God to die in such horrible ways? And Jesus says, don't look at it that way. You don't know why they died. That's not your call. Look at your own life and repent. To make sure God does not work his severe mercies out on you. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, when we suffer in this life, it is our own fault. Plain and simple. It is our own sin that leads us to suffering. But any suffering that comes upon us, any struggle that comes upon us, we are to examine our lives to make sure that it is not the case that it is our own sin that leads us to suffering. But if it is our sin that leads us to suffering, we are called to repent. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, God chastises us. God disciplines us to show us where we are far from Him and where we need to turn back to Him and seek His face. When we go to the Lord and say, out of the depths I cry to you, forgive my sins, He returns to us. He comes to us and meets us with His unfailing love and with His full redemption. Sometimes it takes the severe mercies of God for us to see our sins 
and turn back to Him. Examine your life. Put aside your sins and live a life of repentance so that you may be saved. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder that sometimes life is tough because we have offended you, because we have sinned against you. Give us the light of your word. Give us the light of your spirit to shine into our lives so that we may know the glories of your forgiveness. And remind us that for those who call you Father, for those who call your Son our Lord and Savior, that his righteousness covers us always. And that your severe mercies are to lead us toward being more and more holy, more and more renewed in the image of Christ within us. Thank you for dealing with us tenderly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.